A great team win for the Giants in Denver, including a lot of strong performances by young players, future players for the Giants. Buster Posey joins the Giants ownership group and their board of directors. And the Giants director of pitching, Brian Bannister, we just learned, has not been with the team in person all season long. We'll get into all of it next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspic, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, there is a lot to talk about. The game itself was entertaining enough that it warrants our first segment discussion, but we're also going to get into Buster Posey joining the Giants ownership group. That news breaking today. And Brian Bannister, the Giants director of pitching, we've learned that he's not been with the team all year, which we didn't actually know or notice, but that's a big story as well. But I want to start with getting into this game. The Giants win 6-3 to in Denver. I do just want to point out, I, do, I think it's important for them to continue to win games. Like in the past, when I was just a fan and not really podcasting, I had times when I was hoping like if the team was out of playoff contention, they might as well just lose to get better draft position. But I've changed my mind on that pretty drastically. And the reason is, like the main reason is, number one, you're judged historically. Like it goes in the record books and these games count. And at the end of the year and at the end of the day, you're going to be judged and evaluated based on your performance and wins and losses is like the bottom line in terms of team performance. And so if you're Gabe Kapler and his staff, if you're Farhan Zaidi in the front office, you are not out here trying to hope that you lose games. And number two, the fan interest, right? You want to have compelling baseball games, even if you're out of contention. And these games the last couple of days have thankfully been compelling and very entertaining. And you're building towards next year. You're trying to gain some positive momentum going into next season and also attracting players from the outside, free agent players, which this offseason is hopefully going to be a big one for the Giants in terms of finally making some, some, some substantial acquisitions from the outside. You don't want to go into an offseason 72 and 90 and being like, hey, come play for us. Look at us. The Giants won 107 games last year. This year, they're 71 and 77. So that looks a lot better than it did just when they were 69 and 77 and on the brink of losing two days ago. So they would have been 69 and 78. And all of a sudden it can get squirrely and you can lose closer to 90 games. But if you can make it more like a 500-ish team coming off 107 wins the year before, I think it starts to look a little easier to kind of explain away as just things didn't go right. We need to add these players from the outside. I don't know. I, I really think it's a big deal. You don't want to present a product that is just 
depressing and nobody wants to come here. You want to make this an attractive destination. And part of that is playing well down the stretch. And the Giants did last night. And a lot of what was so fun about last night is that it was kind of future pieces who were the key performers in this game, starting with Sean Jelly in relief. Sean Jelly, uh, it was a bullpen game. So John Brebbia pitched an inning. I believe he's done nothing but pitch scoreless outings in like seven opener roles. And so there's all this discontentment about the Giants using openers. But at the end of the day, I mean, John Brebbia, at least when he's filled in that role, has done well. And also, I do just want to point out, pretty much every team uses openers at times throughout the course of the year these days. So it's not just some gimmicky, like highly specified to like the Giants and a few other super ultra modern teams like every team is doing this from time to time when they have pitchers go down and how about Tyler Rogers two innings of relief I was just looking at his numbers since he had a blow-up outing of a third of an inning against the Mets in late May he's got a 2.75 ERA in over 50 innings since that time so bullpen seasons are just so weird like that you can have a couple of really rough outings and it takes like the entire season to whittle down that ERA but that's what Tyler Rogers has done and now he's got about a league average ERA but then Sean Jelly comes in and ends up just pitching extremely well in Denver just an impossible place to pitch but he pitched well the only run that he allowed while he was on the field was a solo home run he did leave with a base runner on and then Thomas Zapucky came in and allowed that base runner to score But ultimately, the line for Jelly is four innings, two earned runs, three strikeouts, six hits, no walks. That's the key. The Giants in this game, they only issued two walks to the Colorado Rockies. And that is a big key when you're playing in Denver. But for Jelly, I mean, he's done this three times now in the last couple of weeks where he's followed up an opener. The first time in Milwaukee, he was sensational. The next time against the Dodgers, he was horrible he could he got lit up against LA and then this time in Denver I'm just going to keep emphasizing that he goes out and pitches beautifully so a couple of great ones and one really bad one nothing in between for Sean Jelly in this role and so on the season he's got an 844 ERA but the FIP is 3.61 the X FIP is 2.82 The expected ERA is 5.02, so the numbers are kind of all over the place here. I made this point on Twitter. It's really interesting when you look at his Ks per nine, strikeouts per nine. It's high, 10.13. League average is 8.50. But his strikeout rate is actually only 22.5, which is pretty much right in line with the major league average. So how does he have a significantly better than average Ks per nine, but a average K percent? Well, the reason is he's allowed so many base runners that there's more opportunities to strike guys out in a given inning. He's allowed a 463 average on balls in play. So there's been a lot of base runners is the answer to that question. So it's just a kind of neat little example of the superiority of strikeout percentage versus strikeouts per nine. So that's why we use strikeout like K percent on this show, because it is by far the superior of the two numbers. It simply says, what percent of hitters who come up do you strike out? And for Jelly, it's about a league average rate here in six career major league games all coming this season. So there were other key performers in this game. Tyro Estrada had another good game with a couple of hits, 
Austin Slater coming off the injured list, his first at-bats since coming off the IL with that pinky dislocation. He had a couple of big hits and made an incredible sliding catch to end the game up against the sidewall in left field. Just an incredible play with the tying run at the plate. Oh, and David VR also hit a home run. And Joey Bart had a good game. He had a triple taken off the board. It was originally ruled a triple, later ruled an error. I think it's the right call as an error, but he did hit a single and made a great defensive play on a tag play that ultimately didn't get overturned, even though I'm pretty sure that he was out. And then the bullpen just kind of stepped up, like I said, with all the guys I mentioned, and then Junior Marte got a couple outs in the ninth, and then Harleen Garcia sealing the deal. So it's just an overall great win for the Giants. And coming up in just a minute, we're going to turn our attention, though, from this game to this huge news that Buster Posey, fresh, freshly retired, is joining the Giants' ownership group. What does it mean for the future of this organization? We'll discuss it in just a minute. But first, guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life, and that's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part is that it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code Locked on to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Bluechew for sponsoring the podcast. All right, as promised, we are going to discuss these kind of breaking news stories with Buster Posey joining the Giants ownership group, which absolutely came out of nowhere here and is possibly a pretty big deal. It is very interesting that Posey is interested in this opportunity, which, you know, he was one of these guys, kind of like Matt Cain, that I just thought once he retired, he was just going to ride off into the sunset, never to be seen from again, except when they're, you know, trotting out the legends. And it really felt like he maybe wanted to get out of the spotlight and wanted to just retire and be with his kids. But This news kind of makes it sound like he missed the game, but it also is that he said that he was interested in this pretty quickly after he retired. So it's great for me, not for me personally, but I'm saying in my opinion, this is just great because Buster Posey is going to be a big part of this organization and not just in this kind of special advisor role. No offense to those who are in that role, but you know, you get former players or former coaches who kind of get pushed aside or they retire or whatever, and they stay in the organization in these advisory roles. But as Posey said in this, I think the piece that broke this story was in the New York Times. And he said, I don't want to just be 
on some press release and then you never hear from Buster again. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to name names, but there are several former coaches who, who kind of fall into that category. And for Posey, I mean, this is a completely different deal. He's put his own money into the ownership group and he has a seat on the board of directors, which was previously held by, you know, it was a five person board and now it's six. And the board apparently voted unanimously to have Buster on and they're really excited about that. It's worth pointing out the Giants franchise is valued at over $3 billion and Posey in his playing career made about $150, $160 million. I don't have the exact number pulled up, but it was less than $200 million, significantly more than $100 million. But that obviously gets you nowhere close to the valuation of the franchise. So it's not like Posey is suddenly the majority owner of the team and he can just call all the shots. But he's it's again, it's not symbolic. He's putting real money in and being on the board of directors is a big deal. He's going to have he's he he seems like the what what he wants to do out of this role is just to be where he is helpful. That's what he said. He said I want this to be more of this is where we need you. Can you go be in this area? Whether it's being an advisor for the front office, being an advisor on the business side. And Posey obviously brings a unique perspective to this role, and it is highly unusual. In fact, the Giants said it's the first time they've ever had a former Giants player be part of their ownership group. And also, you think about the animosity that exists just in general in this game between the owners and the players. And so to have Buster Posey in the ownership group and on the board of directors is a big deal and kind of a step at least for the Giants franchise, in the right direction of having there be a bond between players and ownership. And so what an, what an incredible bridge Buster Posey is. What an incredible resource he is. Apparently, you know, he had a say in the acquisition of Tyro Estrada. I'm not sure that, like, they targeted him because of Posey, but Posey, the, the legend has it, that uh, Posey told this new front office, I think it was the new front office, when the Giants were in New York playing the Yankees and Estrada was there, we should go get that guy. That guy's a good player. That's what Posey apparently said. And Farhan Zaidi has also told the story of him, Posey, having an influence on the decision to acquire Carlos Rodon. He said, what? We have a chance to get that guy? We should go get that guy. So again, it's not Posey calling the shots, but it's Posey being a sounding board. And he offers this unique experience that you don't typically get at an ownership level. And he's officially part of the team. So I mean, he this is an official position. He Posey made it clear it's not a front office position. So again, he's not out here making recommendations per se on players to acquire. He's not out here having a final say on players to acquire or not. So I think that's important as much. Here's the thing that I've noticed a lot, and this is like going to be possibly taken harshly by some, but just because you played and just because you were a good player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great like front office person and you're going to make great evaluations and you're going to think that you you know all your ideas for who they should acquire and who they shouldn't acquire and what they should and shouldn't do from a baseball operations standpoint just because you're a former player does not mean that you're going to be great at that but 
does it help to have that perspective in the room? I think it does. But again, he's not in the front office room. He's at the ownership level. So it's more like, hey, Buster, we want you to put to provide your input on this. Can you provide your input on this? And he absolutely will, being a member of the ownership group. But the the shots are still called by Farhan Zaidi. I mean, he makes the recommendations and then ownership does have to approve these things. But Posey, I mean, he just has a his finger on the pulse of the team like nobody else really can in a way. He has been through multiple administrations, through good times and bad times, and everything in between. And he's a legendary player. So it's great. And I want to use this opportunity to mention that I I watched the uh, Scott Harris press conference in Detroit, welcoming him to the Tigers as their new president of baseball operations. And I kind of want to amend something I said in the episode a couple days ago when we talked about that news. So the thing is, Scott Harris didn't have a very public-facing role with the Giants when he was the general manager. Working under Farhan Zaidi as the second-in-command, when there's media, you know, when a, when the Giants acquired a player or whatever, Farhan Zaidi is the one who goes and talks to the media about it. And so we never, we didn't hear from Scott Harris very much, so I didn't know all that much about him. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. But within the organization and within the industry, what I was saying was it's an it's a good opportunity for the Giants to perhaps find a different voice. But I just kind of want to walk that back a little bit. And my understanding after watching the press conference and kind of reading pieces by people who know Scott Harris personally and reading, you know, Donnie Ecker and Brian Bannister's comments, more on Bannister in a minute about Scott Harris is that he's viewed as a brilliant kind of mind in the industry. So I just want to make the point that this is perhaps a little bit more of a loss than I portrayed. And I want to make that point that it's possible, if not likely, that Scott Harris was just the perfect person for this job. And now he leaves. And so you're going to, it leaves a hole at that position and they're going to have to go out and find somebody else and somebody else is going to have to get up to speed on a lot of stuff that Scott was involved with. So on the one hand, it is an opportunity for a new voice and to find some great talent to replace him. But on the other hand, it is a significant loss that he goes to the Tigers. It also speaks to uh, Farhan Zaidi's ability to target really good people. The fact that this was the guy that the Tigers wanted the most, it really seems, speaks to Zaidi's ability to find these bright people. And so, yeah, Scott will be missed. You know, huge congratulations to him and best of luck in Detroit. I seriously will be kind of quietly rooting for the Tigers along the way under Scott Harris. So coming up in just a minute, this Brian Bannister news, He ha- he's the director of pitching, and yet he has not been able to be at the ballpark all season long or at any of the minor league facilities. We'll get into why in just a minute, but first. All right, as promised, breaking news today from Andy Baggerly in The Athletic talking about the Giants director of pitching, Brian Bannister, who uh, Baggerly breaks the news that Brian Bannister is not vaccinated, and so he has not been allowed to be on the field or in the facility. He has not been allowed at Oracle Park all season long, nor has he been allowed at any of the minor league facilities 
or even at the spring training complexes, I don't think. So the reason for that is that the league has a vaccine mandate in place for on-field play uh, coaches and personnel. I don't know exactly what the language is, but he's not allowed to be there as a coach. And that's a huge deal because he is the director of pitching. He's not just some assistant pitching coach who's replaceable. In fact, he's so irreplaceable that instead of firing him for this, it's a big deal when you you cannot fulfill your most basic obligation, which is to show up and be there where you're supposed to be. But they view Bannister as such an important part of their of what they do from a pitching standpoint that they decided to instead keep him on staff and allow him to work remotely. And in the article by Baggerly, it talks about how Bannister lives, I think he said, in the East Bay. So they could obviously meet him off-site. But what an inconvenience, right, for the players who have to go meet with Bannister. I don't know. Maybe they can meet near the ballpark somewhere. It's weird, and it's, you know... It's selfish on the part of Brian Bannister. I don't know what Brian Bannister declined comment. He didn't want to be a distraction was his reason given, according to Baggerly. But, I mean, it puts the organization in a rough spot. At the same time, what I will say is that my understanding of Brian Bannister, it's kind of like the Donnie Ecker of the pitching side, is that he provides so much value that they do not want to let him go. And in this article, Zaidi talks about how he wouldn't kind of expand on the details, but did indicate that Bannister's contract extends beyond 2022. And so he's he's somewhat, I think what they're thinking is it's a huge inconvenience and they wouldn't say it, but it's kind of a selfish act by Bannister this year, but that moving forward, it is, if not, likely if not i mean is probably beyond possible and and maybe even likely that this vaccine mandate will be lifted going into perhaps even the off season it has not been extended beyond the season from what i understand and that going into next year perhaps almost certainly i don't know there it won't be in place and so it could become a non issue and they could retain him and get back to business as usual it is a big deal that this has been the case this year. He's working remotely. It is not nearly the same as being present at the ballpark, working with guys, going to minor league facilities, working with guys. He can't do any of that right now. But I look to, like, for example, Canada and that whole situation with the Blue Jays and teams going into Toronto, you had to be vaccinated to enter Canada. And the same is true for entering the United States, I, I guess. I have not traveled internationally, so I don't really know this in great detail. But, you know, Blue Jays being in another country, it created all kinds of issues for players who weren't vaccinated or coaches. They couldn't go play the Blue Jays. And so, it, you know, all kinds of teams, their unvaccinated players just could not go to Canada. But Canada is lifting that mandate starting on like September 1st or October 1st. I can't remember exactly. But when Canada is doing this, it makes me think that Major League Baseball, because so many people have been vaccinated and so many people have gotten COVID, that there's a lot of immunity around there. And so at a certain point, whether it's now or six months from now or a year from now, whatever it is, at a certain point, these things are going to be dropped, these mandates. And so 
Yeah, I mean, that's just the story for me. It's it's unfortunate, but soon enough, Bannister, they kept him because they think he's that important and people love him. And so I don't want to define somebody by one individual decision. From what I understand, people love Brian Bannister and players love working with him and the organization values what he brings to the table from a work standpoint that much. And so I think that's fine, personally. Like, if he brings so much value, I think that they should try to keep him in the organization because at the end of the day, this the mandates will go away and then he can continue with business as usual. But for this year, it's an unfortunate thing that's happened. And look, the Giants have pitched pretty well. Their starting rotation has been pretty good. Their bullpen has not been as good, but you know, guys have certain other guys have started to have good performance. You've got Camilo Doval's breakout type season. So I don't know. I don't know how much of an influence this has had, but certainly some. And hopefully we can get back to business as usual and that he can just be a part of this organization continuing on. That's my take on it. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen today. Now make your second listen to Lockdown MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast Locked on MLB on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it, leaving a review, subscribing, five stars, thumbs up, whatever you can do. Thank you in advance, and thank you to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.